Common Law Center for Holistic Herbalism in Boston, Massachusetts. We are really excited to announce that we today just signed a contract for a book deal. So we're not going to tell you very much about it, but right now the publishing date or the date when it will like go live and you can actually buy it on Amazon is predicted to be April 30th. So those things always slip a little bit, but um, we're so excited about it. And we thought that we would take the opportunity to tell you about a bunch of herb books that we really, really love. And um, why not? It's book day. Yeah. So we're going to list a whole bunch of books and you might be going for a walk or driving somewhere or cooking or whatever. Don't panic. Don't try to like, oh no, I have to write all this stuff down. Because we've listed every book and author in the program notes for this podcast. And um, on our website, um, the, the podcast page has a direct link to all of these books too. So if you're like, Wow, this is great. I want to order all of them. You can literally just go to that webpage and click every single one and they will show up to your door magically um, with the power of the internet or, or in whatever place that you acquire books. Um, so, okay, that said, let's get started. Let's talk about some books. Cool. All right, then. I want to, I want to, can I start? You sh- yeah, probably. Okay. I want to start with, I want to start with these. Do you? Yeah, I do. Yeah. So this is Practical Herbs, Volume 1 and 2, by Henriette Kress, who is, oh my goodness, when I first started as an herbalist, she was like my very first hero. I mean, Rosemary was my teacher, but Henriette is in Finland, and she, like me, before she was an herbalist, she was a software engineer, um, and she created like the very first herbal website. It, okay, it, don't quote me. It, there may have been another very first one, but I'm pretty sure that hers was the very first one. And she also created one of the very first, if not the very first, herbal mailing lists. And so many of us learned basically everything we know, <laughs> I don't know, by talking on those lists, by sharing stuff with each other, by you know debating about this or that or the other thing and that was a real golden time you know it was before Facebook it was before all this stuff it was back in the 90s and it was just a wonderful time to um to be learning herbalism in this like weird wild internet community which was still kind of a new thing at the time but in the meantime Henriette has published these beautiful books and um I love them for beginning herbalists, but I have to tell you that I still use them all the time. Um, The books are organized by herb, and they're alphabetical, and they have beautiful pictures and just the right amount of information about each plant um, to really give you the confidence to work with that plant, but um, not so much information that you feel like you're slogging through it and it's unreasonable. And if you've been an herbalist for a long time, it's just the right, right amount of information to like jog your memory um, and remind you, yes, that's what I wanted. Yeah, or give you some other little tip and, and uh, something to explore, something to play around with that you might have not thought of before. Yeah, or ways that maybe you didn't know this plant yet. Um, and then she points something out and you're like, wait, I never knew that. I've been working with this plant for so long and I didn't know it. I love these books. Yeah. They really catch, uh, or carry Henriette's, uh, writing voice. Yeah. I haven't really heard her speak too many times, but you know, her written voice is always very like down to earth, very simple, very straightforward. Very practical. Practical. Just like it says, you know, um, and uh, that's really valuable, you know, like you can tell that all the things that she's put in here are based on her own direct experience uh, and on things that she's done herself or has explored, um, along with that sort of recognition of a community and that, that sort of drawing on that. When you look at some of her monographs uh, here and, and online, she'll also often refer to people who gave her an idea or taught her something about it. And it's just very humble, you know, it's very, mm, very... I don't know, grounded. Very yeah. nice. Yeah. She's wonderful. So, yes, this is wonderful. Um, really good pair of books. 
either one. And she's coming out. It's just becoming available with a deck of study cards. Yeah. So um, stay tuned. Yeah, we'll put her URL down there for you to go and explore and find all things Henriette. Yeah. Um, you probably already spent time on her website, even if you didn't know it was that Henriette, uh, if you're a herbalist. She's like, you know, there are a few of us herbalists who have very distinctive names. And, you know, like there's only one Henriette. There's, I mean, there may be more. But if you say Henriette attached to herbs, it's Henriette Crest, like it just is. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, so those are great. Yeah. So what's next? Do I get to pick one? Yeah, it's your turn. Uh, well, let's try this one then. Yeah! So this is the Herbal Medic. This is written by our friend and uh, uh, inspiration, <laughs> Sam Kaufman. Uh, Comrade he, in... He loves to inspire people. <laughs> I know he does. Uh, so, this book um, is... Let's see. So, what do, do I like this book? Aside from just because Sam's cool. Okay, and because I'm secretly on the cover... You may not have noticed, but like that's that's me back there when I had long hair. You can't see it because it's in the back of a picture. It's it's just funny. Wait, uh, wait, wait! I will tell you the thing I like best about this book. What is the thing? It is um, chapter. Wait, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Chapter eight. Twenty useful formulas for home and the end of the world. Yeah. So Get this book. You know, if you don't know Sam Kaufman already, um, he uh, has. This organization called Herbal Medics University in the Human Path down in Texas, and um, there he teaches herbalism, but he also teaches survival skills and like blacksmithing and uh, how to process animals, and, and he and, and other instructors there. Um, so they have basically all of your survivalist skills, all of your prepper skills, all of your herbalism, all of your um, small group. Uh, uh, what in, infiltration, uh, <laughs> penetration, and exfiltration exercises? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can teach that too. So and for the for the last eighteen months, I've been teaching with them um, a class, a program called the Emergent Responder, which is a program that that trains you to set up disaster response clinics and disaster response. Um, uh, Responses for your community, for your family, for like whatever scale you want to do that on. And this book was um, kind of the precursor to that because he really right. is thinking about post disaster and preparedness and and not just taking care of yourself but your community. Um, yeah. And then we just built and built to right. build that program. Yeah. So the some of the cool things around uh, that's going on in here is that there's this focus on. What can you do for yourself in a post-disaster or a remote wilderness situation to take care of some pretty serious problems um, with simple herbs that you might have in your area? Or I mean, he's got a Materia Medica section in here, but it's pretty clear that you know what matters is the the effect or the action of the herb, and you can go and find ones that are local to where you are. Um, you know, Sam's down in the down in Texas, so there's a number of plants that show up there that I've never seen except when I go visit. But, um, no, but they don't grow here. They don't all grow here. Yeah. But anyway, what's what's great about this again is that that focus on um, acute problems, on uh, disaster situations, and on applying herbs in that kind of context. Um, that's really Sam's kind of specialty. We um, should probably aren't... say, you know, like it grows out of his experience being a Green Beret or a Special Forces medic, um, and so he did that for several years, and uh, then decided to go be a be a plant hippie. <laughs> and, uh, and if you hang out with Sam in person, he totally like transitions between both of those. Like, we'll have he'll have a day at his school where part of his job is to put on body armor and like fight with all of his students in this little adrenaline exercise. Where literally it, twenty people right after another will just try to beat him up. And yeah, yeah. and it, there's reasons for that. Whatever. But and then like the afternoon is we're gonna go take a plant walk and then he's gonna like talk about this herb and like get really excited and, and now like, we're gonna meditate with it yeah <laughs> and like want to teach you all these things about like the first time he hung out with this plant and what it taught him and how that turned his life around and whatever so like Sam totally embodies the the um, the confluence of these kind of things that people regard as opposites but really aren't because all of it is oriented towards we have to save this fucking planet we live on if we want to keep living here so. Uh, and I had to throw in this word there because, like, it's Sam. So yeah, sorry, you guys. That totally would have been there. Um, yeah, so it's great. And I, I love it uh, for that kind of reason. Um, it's really down to earth. It's, it's a simple book that you could give to anybody who's brand new to herbalism or to any piece of prepping 
that may be involved mm -hmm. and uh, you could come at them from either side there. So for people who want to be a little more self-sufficient, for people who want to be able to help others in these kind of situations. If you're already like on a search and rescue team or if you have a wilderness first responder and you want to be able to incorporate herbalism into that, this yeah. is a great book. And we should say there's some chapters in here written by some other folks, one by Katia Lamon, who's not to be confused with Katia Swift. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Katia Lamon wrote a, a, she's a, a midwife and she's done a lot of work around emergency childbirth. So she wrote a Meconium Hits the Fan uh, chapter in there, um, which is a joke you'll understand once you read it. And, uh, and then David House, uh, he did a chapter on distillation. So for all of you who want to get some moonshine going, don't tell anybody that, that we told you because it's not probably allowed, but you could at least learn this in, in a theoretical way and be very interested in all of the things that somebody might do at some point. In an emergency it's kind of situation. When you just needed that, yeah. It is actually really useful, <laughs> though, because we use alcohol as a menstruum for making medicine, and if you can't buy it somewhere, then you're going to need to make it if you don't know how to do that. Right, and you know, one aspect that I've, I've found that I've observed when people get into the prepper thing is that it makes them appreciate how much work and effort goes into everything that's around them, right? Um, there's another author we, we look into a lot, and she talks a lot about how we've outsourced a lot of our movement. Uh, like, we don't... Like, you can go to the store and you can buy, like... I don't want to chop carrots. Just give me the pre-chopped carrots, right? I'm going to get that. So that's like outsourcing movement, right? There's nothing wrong with that, especially if you're a busy person who just wants to eat some vegetables and you worked all day. Right. But her point is just that there are we, we used to yeah. have exercise built into our day and we didn't have to go to the gym to get it. Yeah. So, you know, when you start like doing more homesteading stuff, you, you become aware of that sort of thing. And the same when you, when you start thinking about some of the prepping stuff, like, huh, what would I actually do if I saw somebody with a gangrenous leg and I was trying to help them and I had no access to a hospital? Well, Sam's got the answer for that one. Uh, and then David in here in his chapter has the answer for, like, where the hell am I going to get vodka from after the end of the world? Right? You need to know. Right? <laughs> yeah, you need to know. For all kinds of reasons. Uh, not least to make your tinctures with, right? So, um, anyway, so it covers a whole bunch of cool stuff like that. Um, I really like this one. I think it's unique. And, you know, you'll probably get the, the point by the time we've gone through a couple more here, but we're really f interested in herbal books that are more than just, like, here's another encyclopedia of herbs mm -hmm. and a list of 50 plants and, you know, very, like, uh, I'm just going to tell you all the plants that I know. Like, these, these have a purpose, right? So Henriette is, let's be as simple and practical and down-to-earth and, and, like, beginner-friendly uh, and yet rewarding for people of experience as we can stuff into one volume, or actually two, right? <laughs> and then Sam is like, yeah, let's teach people some basic herbalism, but with a specific perspective or a specific goal, right? So we find that to be really useful when we're looking at a book. There really aren't, I don't think that I can think of a single other herb book that focuses on traumatic injuries or acute um, post-disaster kinds of situations and like you don't have to be an apocalyptic prepper to need this stuff like hurricanes they yeah. sam organized a bunch of teams and they went from they are in san antonio they went to houston after hurricane harvey and they worked like crazy they went three four days out of every week and and these were the skills they were using so it is it's important just for regular people too yeah None of us is exempt from disaster, so yeah. I'm good to prepare. Cool. So that's that's that one. That's the herbal medic from Sam Kaufman. Hey, let's go back to Scandinavia for a minute. Cool. Yeah. Is it count as? Wait, I never remember. I think Iceland isn't actually Scandinavia. Yeah, let's go in the direction of the far north for a moment. Um, so this book is called Icelandic Herbs. And their medicinal uses. It's written by Anna Rosa Robertsdottir, who is an Icelandic herbalist who we met at the International Herb Symposium a lot of years ago. Some, one of the years. Yeah, a lot of years ago. Some number, whatever, yeah. And when we got married and we went on our honeymoon to Iceland, we went to visit her, and that was super, super fun. And um, we actually bought this book in Iceland. Yeah. no. No, I don't know. Do we have it ahead? I, I can't remember. I don't e remember. Either we got it in Iceland or maybe we got it ahead of time. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, but you might be like, why are you talking about a book about Icelandic herbs? Here's why. Because <laughs> the majority of the herbs in this book also grow in the Northeast and in lots of other places in the United States. And in much of Europe, because most of the plants in here, and, and in a lot of ways, most of the plants on Iceland 
were brought there by humans. Uh, they were they were brought there either intentionally, you know, and, and like intentionally planted or or uh, you know, gardened, or else they you know, traveled on a, a seed burr clinging to somebody's sheep that they <laughs> you know shipped across the uh, the Icelandic sea and uh, ended up there. So uh, yeah, so there's a lot of like really common friends in here, uh, like your dandelions and your junipers and heathers and so on. Um, there's and really then, only a handful of plants that don't grow here. Yeah. You know, and then there's a couple that are very, like, um, very, I don't know, they're just very Icelandic. They're very, like, yeah, that's that's Iceland for you. Like Lupin, um, which... And Rhodiola. That, yeah, Rhodiola. Icelandic moss, of course, right? Yeah. Everywhere. Yeah. But those crowberry, are, right? Yeah. Those are plants also that you can still get, even if you don't go to Iceland to get them. Yeah. But this book, first, it's beautiful, and again, it has just the right amount of information. Enough information to get you started, enough information to jog your memory, um, and to get you really interested. Plus, uh, information from older sources that you don't really see referenced so often. Like, everybody will refer back to Nicholas Culpepper, right? Like, you know what. You know, or like Gerard, uh, John Gerard's herbal... You know, it's it's like there's but this tendency in like North American herbalists stuff. to refer back to the to the English herbalists most frequently, but yeah. there were other people who were doing it. So, like here with Ladies Mantle, uh, Bjorn Halldorson in 1783 said, "This herb is good to heal and clean wounds, bruised and applied, or taken as a decoction." You know, and he goes on and on. But it's just these. Then it's it's not like extensively like this isn't an academic research into the historical uses of herbs, but there's just these little touches every now and then. Or these little quotes, and it's nice to get a little bit of the flavor mm-hmm. of the way some of the earlier um, Icelandic authors uh, and herbalists would have thought about these plants. So that's cool. Also, she does a great job of referencing current research, mm-hmm. um, which I really like. So you're really getting that kind of broad perspective of for each herb, here's this historical application. And then also here is the current scientific research that's being done on that plant. Um, I have to to bookmark this page because I want to read what she says about Marsh Marigold. I forgot that was in there. We have some growing right one block away. Yeah, right. So, okay. Sorry (laughs) to get distracted there, but I've got to come back to that one. Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) so so we love that book. So whether you go to Iceland or not, um, definitely check that one out, uh, especially if you live in in the sort of... um, similar ecosystem that's going to host things like uva ursi and elderberry and dandelions and all of that mm-hmm. um you'll find you'll find a lot of friends in there oh. all right who's next um let's yeah let's talk about one that's a little closer to home so this is the <laughs> this is very close to home yeah this is called wild urban plants of the northeast by peter del Tardisi, or maybe Tardici. i'm not sure um so this book I love because this is basically something that I could wander around Boston with, and it would help me to identify all kinds of wild plants that's going that's growing around here. So this is um, more of a botanical book than a an herbal. He does occasionally refer to some what he calls cultural significance uh, items about these plants, like you know he'll he'll maybe talk about some historical uses or some contemporary folk uses of these as herbs, but this is really more of a, of a field guide, right? I gotta um, tell you though, it's my favorite beyond all the other ones. Um, it's got fantastic photographs in it, and also city plants are a little different than field guide plants, and sometimes the plants that are growing in a city, it's very difficult to find in a field guide. And they're all, they're, like, if there's a plant that I'm, I've been watching and I'm like, gosh, who is that? And I'll pull out all the field guides and, I, and often I don't find it. And then I pull this book out and there it is. And partially that's because this guy's from Boston. He lives, I believe, in Somerville. Um, so, of course, like, these books are right here, or these plants are right here local. But these are the plants that you can find in all of the cities, especially the northern cities. And that is super, super valuable. Yeah. Also, he has a segment on trees. And again, that's the same. Like, the trees that we plant in cities are not, like, a natural collection of trees. They're a selected collection of trees for various reasons. So, um, so he references the trees as well, which makes it a lot easier to figure out what you've got in your city. Totally. 
one of the things I really like about this is during his introductory materials, he has a whole segment about the notion of city naturalized plants. Uh, that you know, this is focused on weeds, basically. Um, there's there's not a lot of discussion of ornamental plants in here unless they also have a sort of a wild variety. But he's mainly interested in things like dandelion and burdock that follow people around, hang out with people in their cities, and thrive in those environments. And there's this great bit where he's discussing like what is the like what are the ecological characteristics of a city environment? Right? It's dry. It's uh, stony. It's salty from you know especially up here in Boston. Like you wouldn't believe the mountains of salt they throw all over the roads every summer, every winter. Um, so, you know, plants need to be able to survive those particular kinds of things. And, and many of the plants you find thriving in a city environment are things that would have been sort of naturally found on, like, a, a rocky cliff next to the ocean, you know? Uh, and just thinking of it that way, like, that really opened my eyes a little bit to, to think more about microclimates and the way they express and what are the, what are the pressures on herbs that are going to grow right here in the city. It's like so, microbioregionalism. Yeah. So I will say one, there's a pretty big limitation, though, to this book, which is that it doesn't have any kind of a key. Uh, so if you are trying to identify a plant, you're going to basically just look at it with the book next to you and flip through until you find a picture that gets you pretty close. So it may help if you have another kind of a wildflower guide or you know a smartphone that you can use with some online resources to help to key it out uh, you know, up to a certain step and then turn to this for the kind of, kind of like final... Uh, differentiation. So that is the limitation here. Um, On the other hand, most of the time, I just flip through the whole book. It's not. It's not a huge book. Yeah. Um, it's like what? It's not four hundred pages. Yeah. yeah. Like, and almost. the pictures are very good. And every time I do it, I'm like, oh wait, let me look at this. And so I always end up learning more. You see something else that you were trying to figure out on the way to it. Yeah. Yeah. So that yeah, so th- you're right. That really is a drawback. An index or some sort of key would be great, but it is not in any way a drawback significant enough to like impede working with the book. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Cool. All right. Hey, this one? Sure, yeah. Okay, so while we're talking about plants that are adapted to specific situations, um, and specific ecosystems. This book is by Timothy Scott, and it's called Invasive Plant Medicine. And I just have to tell you, I love this book. I just love this book. This is what, like five years ago? Oh, no, now? more than that. I think... I guess more like ten, because that... Yeah, I think it's more like ten. Yeah. So, this book... Um, yeah, 2010. Okay, so it's right in the middle. <laughs> so, Tim, he, he lives up in Vermont, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so many of the book, many of the herbs that are listed in here are those that are invasive kind of for the Northeast region. Um, and of course that appeals to us because we live here, so uh, but, check that out. But, but he's got like kudzu in there. And, yeah, he's got some uh, southern ones too. Yeah. So um, this is an important topic, and it's something that we end up spending a, a fair amount of time talking about um, in a lot of our classes because, you know, if people have, had an, uh, have heard of the concept of invasive species at all, it's always been very kind of simplistic in the way it's presented, right? And to take an example uh, of one of the herbs he covers in here, there's this plant, Purple Loose Strife. Oh, uh, one of my favorite plants. It's become that, right? And I think, you know, kind of be- kind of after you started, you read what he had to say about it, maybe. I think that was about the time that I was learning about it. You early into it uh, at that point. I think you had been like, oh, this is so lovely, it's too bad people hate on it because it's invasive. And then this book came out and you were like, ha, 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 ha. Yeah. <laughs> Vindication for Lithrum. You know? Yes. Yeah, so, um, you know, purple loose strife, it's, it's, it's uh, assertive, right, in its environment. But I, I, oh, it's so hard. Like, it's not even that assertive. It's somewhat assertive. Yeah. But, you know, uh, and, and it's weird because people will say, oh, it's going to chase away the natives, it's going to do this and that, but it, it doesn't, it's not actually backed up by science. And not just, not just Tim says this, but there's other books about invasives that have uh, had similar take on the issue. That well, purple loosestrife has been over uh, overestimated, over maligned, yeah, as a as a bad force there. And these days, actually, specifically with regard to purple loosestrife, um, the Central Massachusetts Beekeepers Association and a bunch of oh, other yeah, groups yeah. Um, have been working to show that areas where they're doing loosestrife eradication, it is um, really negatively impacting the bee populations because when they do eradicate the loosestrife, other things move in. 
that are also not native and that don't serve the pollinators. And the thing about loosestrife is that, oh, it's so wonderful for pollinators. Please love it, man. Yeah. It's also fantastic for um, pollution remediation. It's just there's so many great things. And that's just one of the plants that's in this book. But he's really focusing on, for example, here we have a list of invasive plants that are used to treat tuberculosis. He's focusing on big deal issues. And I think that's so really appropriate because plants that are very opportunistic or very plants that are identified as invasive, if you've noticed, they're also practically impossible to kill. They're really strong plants and they're really strong medicine. And instead of feeling like, you know, aggressive towards them and angry about them, um, I love to feel grateful to them because when there are plants we want to work with, we have to be very careful that we don't over-harvest them. But with invasive plants, invasive, please put quotes around that because, you know, with, with invasive plants, you don't have to worry. Harvest all you want. They're abundant. And you can just harvest like crazy and feel confident that you're not going to wipe them out. They'll be back here next year. Mm. So I think that's really a gift. Yeah. Yeah, that is quite... Uh, it's quite a relief sometimes. Yeah. You know? yeah. And the other thing that he... T- so the first half of this book is theory. Um, and the second half is a materia medica. And another thing that he talks about a lot... Um, is that plants are not native to locations on a map. They're native to ecosystems. And if you recreate that ecosystem, those plants will be very happy to live there. So as we as humans change our environment, whether that is by something huge like global warming or something small like bulldozing an empty lot... Mm -hmm. Um, either one of those things is drastically changing the environment. And so you're going to see different plants growing there. But those plants are coming simply because that's the environment they like to live in. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Cool. So, yeah. Invasive Plant Medicine, Timothy Scott. So whether you're reading this because you, too, feel like plants are not invasive, they're, they're finding their homes in their ecosystems, or... Whether you're just looking for a really um, effective way to get rid of all the Japanese knotweed in your backyard and chemicals aren't working, and then you realize, oh, wait, this could be medicine? Okay. Um, I, I, whichever one of those it is, I, I always like to think that, like, you know, towns and cities around here spend so much money on chemicals to try to control the Japanese knotweed. And, you know, Japanese knotweed sells. If you buy encapsulated Japanese knotweed roots, it's like 40 bucks a bottle. And so I have this grand scheme, which I haven't implemented, but I think it would be great if somebody did, that we could, instead of using chemicals, first off, we'd have to remediate the soil. Okay, well, that's not a small step, but let's just assume we did that. Then we could harvest all of it, dig it up by the roots, harvest those roots, encapsulate them, And instead of spending lots and lots of tax dollars buying chemicals to try to kill a plant that doesn't die when you spray chemicals on it, instead it would be a huge source of revenue for the cities and towns. It would create jobs. It would be, like, really, really cool. So that's my little... What a beautiful dream. (laughs) I love that. Anyway, Timothy Scott, Invasive Plant Medicine. Yeah. It's a great book. Right on. What's okay, next? more books? Yeah. Let's see. Um, well, how about this one next? Okay. So this is, um, you guys, this is like one of my very first art books. <laughs> I, it's, it's old. I don't even know when it was printed. Um, but it, it was in the first, I don't know, 1996. It was, it's a long time ago. And I bought this brandy spanking new. But now uh, this is um, Encyclopedia of Medicinal Plants by Andrew Chevalier. Now you can buy this used on Amazon for like $8 or something. Um, But I still love this book. So in this book, he's divided the plants. He has like a group of the major plants or what he considers to be the major plants. I don't always agree with his 
um, categorization, but that, there's no problem with that. So plants that he considers to be the major plants, and they get a full page spread. And then plants that he considers to be like less well, less commonly used, and they get a portion of a page, like a third of a page. But whether it's one of the one of the ones that gets a full page, or whether it's one of the ones that gets, gets a third of a page, he always includes the habitat and cultivation, the key constituents, current research. Of course, this is from 1996. Um, traditional and current uses, um, and it's it's somewhat of a conservative book. Yeah. If there's any possibility of drug interaction or adverse reaction, he's very conservative about that. So if you're brand new to herbalism, basically you cannot hurt someone working through this book. Right. It's a really safe book to be working with. Yeah, that's valuable. And the pictures are beautiful, and it's it's well-organized. It is very easy to use. And when you're just starting out, it's just really... And then even still, like, it's another one of those books that you get it when you're just starting out, but then once you've been practicing for a long time and and you're, like, trying to solve a problem and you're like, boy, I don't know what plant is going to be right for this job. So you get this book out and you just start kind of flipping through it and then you're like, oh, my goodness, of course, I forgot you could work with Melissa that way. And presto, it's, like, right there in your head again. So I, I love this book. Yeah. Um, didn't they change the name to like the Encyclopedia of Herbal Medicine or something like that? I don't know. We'll, we'll get we'll the uh, updated title. Yeah. In the bottom because we have actually another edition of this at home that's like ten years newer. So. Yeah. <laughs> we got to where we could. We were always frustrated because either we were here at the school and the book was at home, or we were at home and the book was here at the school. Yeah. So we just bought another copy so that we would have one in both places. Yeah, the pictures are quite good. And he does have some lead-in material that talks a little bit about historical herbalism and a few a few various different traditions around the world and some other kind of like basic ideas there. So um, it's, a, it's a good survey and, again, a, a nice book for beginners. Um, another one that we like for beginners, uh, a little more recent and has some, uh, some stuff that's a little more like hot topics people are discussing in holistic health and in herbal worlds these days is this book here called Body Into Balance. And this is a review copy, so it's not quite as beautiful as the finished version, but um, this is from Maria Noel Groves, and um, this one is really quite quite nice. Um, it is, in some ways, you know, like there's a, there's a Materia Medica segment in here, um, just kind of outlaying uh, some profiles of individual plants, um, but those are kind of interspersed in between these chapters that are um, uh, about kind of like broad overarching topics that touch on on health in a very a very kind of holistic manner right so she's going to discuss some issues about food and some about stress relief and about improving sleep and all of that um for many of these things and so that that suits us pretty nicely because you know we're the commonwealth center for holistic herbalism so when we talk about solving these problems we're not just going to throw herbs at it but we're going to talk about those kind of lifestyle changes too so i like that that's kind of folded into what's what's in here um and, you know, we could nitpick a couple of points here and there. She's a little more, like, vegetarian-friendly than we tend to be, uh, just to be honest about that aspect of it. Um, we tend in the paleo-type or ancestral, traditional nutrition kind of direction. Yeah. Um, but she's still talking about things like gluten intolerance and, right. you know, dairy allergies and, and, and is food allergy aware. So, yeah. you know, whatever food works best for your body that's really awesome but it is important to have awareness of food sensitivities and food allergies and to be able to kind of investigate that if it looks like that might be an issue for someone right yeah but you know it's a nice book it's large format so you know it's kind of convenient to lay it out and flip through it um and again it does cover some some you know big top level issues like restoring healthy gut um gut uh, integrity you know, dealing with stress. Um, there's a, a, a chapter in here addressing the issue of detoxification, um, which I think she handles pretty well. Um, you know, it's very easy to get off into the weeds on detox, uh, detoxification when you get into that. Um, and she has a pretty clear-headed and not crazy take on it, so I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. uh, the more of those we can get out there in the world, the better. Um, so nice job on that one. And 
uh, for brand new students, um, you know, for a long time we've just directed them straight to Chevalier's book. Um, but these days I've been saying, well, you know, look at that, look at Body into Balance, see which one kind of grabs you more. In some ways it's going to depend a little bit on whether you prefer to, like, build your own health protocols from the foundations upward. Um, then maybe Andrew's book, Just About the Herbs Themselves, is the way to go. Or if you would like a bit of a framework um, and some ideas around, like, well, what would... Uh, what like what would I put into a tea for you know coping with stress uh, on a day to day basis? She's got some nice examples and and some things to like get you kick started in there. Yeah. So yeah. So that's a good one. Again, uh, especially if you're brand new and um, look into that one. You know how about, about Guido Massey's book? Yeah. Um, so this is the Wild Medicine Solution, and I I love I love Guido. Um, he and I were in, um, were sort of orbiting Rosemary at about the same time and, um, going off and starting practice at about the same time and, um, you know, liked to talk to each other about things. So I have, um, I, I have a lot of appreciation for his style of working and he's tremendously rigorous and has a lot of integrity in yeah. what he does. And I particularly love that he spends so much time on bitters in this book. So this book is organized into three sections, aromatic plants, bitter plants, and tonifying plants. And um, really, if those were the only plants you knew, were plants in that in those categories, you could do a tremendous amount of work. This is another, uh, one of the reasons I like this book so much is that, again, it, it's not like, here's 300 different plants and, you know, half a page on each of them, good luck figuring out what yeah. to do with yourself. Guido says, like, here are these three, like, primary, um, like, overarching categories of herbs that every traditional system of medicine has more or less, you know, hashed out or, you know, has expressed in one way or another, um, or just that people in the modern world could really benefit from and so let's spend some time understanding the nature of that category and then highlighting a few really great examples of, of herbs that live in there. Right? Yeah. And um, each herb has like six pages. Yeah. So you're really getting in-depth information about it. Um, and that's really cool. Yeah. And there's a nice blend of everything from myth to phytochemistry and all the little spaces in between um, before they swing around and come back and touch each other again. This is what mm -hmm. really happens with that. But anyway, so yeah, so Guido expresses that really nicely. And, you know, in his introductory chapters, he's talking about, he calls it this idea of a cuisine for medicine. But it's basically saying, like, if you just introduce lots of plants into your life all the time, in your food and in your drinks and in your enjoyment and whatever else, then you won't need medicines because you won't be getting as sick, right? Yeah. Uh, which is a perspective that we have a lot of affinity for. Yeah. So, yeah, lots to love there. It's Wild medicine book. solution. Right on. Okay. Uh, speaking of phytochemistry, <laughs> um, there is a wonderful book all about that that won't drive you crazy, even if you're a little scared by the line drawings and stuff. Um, by the time you finish this one, you'll, you'll really appreciate them. So... Um, this is by Lisa Ganora, uh, and it's called Herbal Constituents, Foundations of Phytochemistry. Um, Lisa Ganora is, well, she's just so cool. Yeah. But one of the things that makes her so cool is that she is an herbalist and a chemist, and she has a degree in chemistry, but she's a real herbalist. She's not like a chemist who's kind of interested in herbs. Right. Um, she, and there's nothing wrong with that. If, if all the chemists in the world were interested in herbs, that'd be cool. But, um, but she's really an herbalist who lives her life as an, you know, like depending and in relationship with the plants. She runs the Colorado School for Clinical Herbalism. She um, took over when Paul Bergner moved to Oregon. And um, I, I just love her. I have so much respect for her work. So if you are a person who didn't love chemistry in high school, um, don't, don't be afraid because she'll talk, you know, I mean, okay, there are, there are molecular um, diagrams in here, but they're not actually as scary as you think. And it's hysterical because, you know, 
there's psychedelic fractals on the cover <laughs> and she's talking simultaneously about you know all this chemical stuff but then on the on the very next page she's talking about plant magic right and it's yeah. very accessible yeah yeah you know so there's kind of two ways to read this like you could read it trying to like learn really specific detail about or to to harvest really specific detail about specific you know chemical types or constituents that you find in a given plant um, and you can do that because that information is in here. But you could also read through it and like not stress yourself out about trying to retain every last word. And what you would absorb on a read like that is just an appreciation for uh, this capacity that Lisa has to make the chemistry practical and make it matter to you. She's always coming back and saying like, okay, yeah, so we're talking about you know flavonolignans in milk thistle. And that's and other herbs that have some like that, and that's great and all. But these are the ways that you're already working with this constituent, or you're already drawing on its capacities in your existing work with the herb, right? So this is, I think, especially good for people who are in clinical practice or are really in any kind of uh, practice working with herbs where they're giving them to other people, because this will add another layer of appreciation to plants that you're already quite familiar with, and um, it can help you to see some of the connections between herbs that you didn't really quite understand very well before. Um, you know, why are these two herbs so similar? Or what is the, what is that like crossover point between like sage and yarrow and wormwood? And not all of it, but some of it has to do with thujone, right? Mm -hmm. It's this really distinctive, really fascinating kind of terpenoid thing. And uh, the way that that affects our physiology is really fascinating. So she does a good job of drawing those connections and making that layer of things seem alive and, and intriguing. And, you know, when she starts, she starts out from, like, atoms, you know, yeah. basic physical elements of the world. But she's drawing these connections between, like, well, carbon is really like the earth element and oxygen is like air and fire coming together and hydrogen's the, you know, uh, whatever. So she has that, that sort of uh, capacity to, to mix those layers Right, you've got as above and so below, and all these layers in between, and she really like drives right through all of them to, to tie it together. So it's really lovely. It's very readable. Um, some of the words are big and hard to pronounce, but the sentences are all very readable. So um, don't let the individual chemical names intimidate you, because the book itself is totally accessible. And I know Lisa right now, she's working on, a, on a, an online program about phytochemistry mm -hmm. um, video series, so I'm anxiously looking forward to that. Um, you know, I had been working with herbs for quite a while before I kind of got around to worrying about chemistry at all, um, and it was really this book being released that kind of pushed me off into that direction, and uh, I found that to be really intriguing and, um, you know, a very interesting field because you can both, like, get really far down into minutiae and then sort of have to, like stand up and look around and realize that none of it actually matters too much. <laughs> but then other times you'll get down into there and you'll find something that's actually really, really useful and changes your whole perspective on a plant or what you can do with it. Or explains something that you never understood. Right. So if you're into that kind of fun, then this is a book for you. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yes. So then we have, um, this is an updated version um, of a book that's been around for a long time called Botany in a Day. And this is by um, Tom Elpel. And if plant ID is difficult or intimidating for you, um, this book is the book that's going to make it make sense. Because he covers all the different plants by family. So what he's really doing is first and foremost talking about what do all these plants have in common why is a plum related to a rose and how do we know if we just saw that tree and didn't know what kind of tree it was how would we know that it's in the rose family so it really makes it tremendously accessible he breaks everything down in a really really easy to understand way and um, once you can figure out what family a plant is from, then it makes it so much easier to work on identifying which specific plant in that family you have. Yeah. So this, this patterns method or this family method of plant ID is something that Tom has uh, worked with for a really long time and has kind of developed through this book and, and this series. Um, and so Botany in a Day is really fantastic. And, I mean, kids can read this. 
you know, uh, what, Amber's 14 now? Mm-hmm. But she was, she was reading through here and getting inspired to draw pictures of herbs when she was, like, eight. You know, so, <laughs> so that, uh, but adults can totally use this, too. Um, but he's got another book that accompanies it. We, I don't think we have our no, copy here. No, I don't have it here. It's um, but this one is for kids from, what, 9 to 99. It's called Shanlea's Quest. And these cards here go together with that. So um, these you can play a game where you'll have, like, the, the cards that have... It's, it's like memory. Yeah, so you'll have cards that have herbs on them and then cards that have a family. Where's a family card? Uh, like this, this one, one, right? And then um, the game you can play is, is not just, like, matching the same, the same picture to the same picture, but, like, is this in the Lily family? If they are, then that makes a match and you can take those two. So it's a really cool game. It's actually really simple, really fun, and you can learn a ton about plant families just by playing that for a little while. It will really help you build your confidence with Plant ID. Even if you don't get the book and you just get the card game, it's, and, and frankly, actually, the children's book, um, if, if a whole good. big book of botany intimidates you, just get Shenleia's Quest. Even as an adult, it is really yeah. 75 to 80% of everything you need to know is actually in that book. Yeah. And it's got pictures. Well, I mean, this one has pictures too, but... Um, that one has like a cute story. Yeah, know? yeah. The, the little girl is on a canoe trip and she goes to all the little islands with the plant families and they all have wisdom for her. It's great. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah. But it does, it makes it so much easier and it gives you so much more confidence about identifying your plants and that is something that's just really hard for a lot of people. So if that's hard for you, first off, you're totally normal. Like, you're in good company. It's hard for lots of people. And secondly, these are the books that can really help. Yeah, right on. All right, one more. We could go on for a while, but let's just do one more. Yeah. Um, so this one is called Radical Mycology, and it's by Peter... It's a tome. It's a big one, yeah. So this is by Peter McCoy, who's awesome, and who we met... Uh, he came, was it... 2016 or I think it was last year yeah it was last year he he came here he was on a book tour when this was released and uh, a friend of ours knew him through some permaculture connections of hers and uh, got us connected together and so Peter came to our space here and he had a a little uh, a little talk and a slideshow and um, you know talked about the book and what he was trying to accomplish Um, and I was really impressed uh, you know even before reading it because his his purpose, as he described it, was both to help people to appreciate like the whole fungal kingdom a lot more deeply, um, and also to try to take access to uh, fungi and mushrooms, and particularly the medicinal ones, and make it something that people can accomplish in their kitchen rather than requiring like a lab. Because I don't know if you know, but most mushrooms, even ones for like food consumption, they're grown in like clean room conditions. I, I got my uh, I got the chance to visit a, a facility like this last year. And, um, you know, it's like you get the booties on your feet and the big coat and the hairnet and the whole thing. And you have to step in the chemical bath before you go into the room. And there's a weird lighting and the, like, all of the HVAC stuff. And they had to build a computer to, to whatever. Like, it's a crazy situation, right? But so, you know, that's the way most mushrooms are grown for food. Uh, and then, of course, for, for supplement products, right? Mm-hmm. And so Peter looked at it and he was like, well, how much of this can I do in my kitchen with stuff I can get at the hardware store? And it turns out, like... Damn lot, and he also does a lot of work around uh, growing mushrooms outdoors, which I think is really important. Yeah, Um, and we just found out today actually he's got a Kickstarter going because he's starting an online program. Yeah, so if you want to learn how to grow mushrooms, coming soon to an internet near you. If I only I could remember what the new URL was. Uh, It's the name of the project. It's like Michael. Michael Logos, I think. Yes, yeah. Michael Logos. Michael Logos, yeah. yeah. Anyway, we'll, we'll put a link in the notes. But yeah, so this book um, and that that uh, project are Peter's efforts to like get more appreciation for fungi into the world, um, and it's definitely something that we could all we could all work with. Um, you know, it's not just that we're a little late as a culture, or that we're like as Americans or whatever, like people just reject or neglect mushrooms. He was saying that um, actually if you compare the time that people have been cultivating or domesticating plants to the amount of time people have been working with mushrooms, it's a pretty new thing. You know, it's maybe 2,000 years we've been playing around with fungi in a very intentional way, um, whereas it's more like 10 to 12 or 14,000 years when people have been 
messing around with plants with, inten with in intention, right? So there's a ton here for us to learn, even just on the on like the weight of traditional knowledge or like direct experience. That um, there's a lot of space for that, right? And now, of course, we have uh, ways to do that that are a lot safer than maybe they used to be. <laughs> Certain experiments you can do now, or data we have from all of those old old for mushroom foragers that don't right. really exist, right? Because you can't have both of those attributes, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so this is a fantastic book if you want to cultivate mushrooms at home, in your backyard, or under your sink, or in a it, like to grow a mason jar full of reishi mycelium. He can teach you how to do that. Um, uh, there's a lot of stuff in here about the place of fungi and the whole kingdom in the web of life and how we need to understand and respect that. So there's issues about soil health, soil remediation, pollution cleanup. Um, you know, he's got a little bit about... Uh, some of the efforts people are using to make like mushroom-based plastics and stuff like this. So there's so much potential. He covers a lot of material. Um, it's an enormous it's, it's big, book. Yeah. Uh, so but there's it's all fantastic. of that. There's a bit about psychoactive mushrooms in here. If you're into that kind of thing, um, there's a stuff, some stuff about fungi and plants relating together. Um, a bunch of recipes, you know, fermented drinks, all kinds of cool stuff. So. Uh, can't can't speak highly enough of this one. Radical mycology take fungi into your own hands. Yeah, yeah. So right there on. are so many more books that we love. Um, we have several shelves filled with them, uh, but we really wanted to keep it to strictly books about herbs, well, herbs and mushrooms, um, that are going to be really good no matter where you are in your process of learning. Um, so another time we can talk about. Lots of other different cool books that we love. Um, and also there are so many more herb books that we love too. But this is, this is the beginning. So um, I hope that this is really useful to you. And in April or May of 2018, then we can add our very own book to the, to the list as well. So stay tuned. Yeah. We've yeah. got a lot to do. Uh, a lot of... Uh... Lots to stand up to, so we're gonna do our best. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You make a good book that will that will be in good company on this table. Yeah. All right. So uh, thanks for listening, and we'll see you again later.